We are in the sixth week of the Easter season and the sixth and final week of our Easter message series. We've been looking at influence, influence. Influence, we've said, is force, and it can be a compelling force, a compelling force affecting the actions and behaviors, the opinion and thinking of others, and eventually the outcomes they experience. We've been looking at influence specifically as regards Jesus of Nazareth, a man who grew up in obscurity in a working-class household in an impoverished outpost of the Roman Empire. He never wrote a book, commanded an army, held political office, headed a company. He was not wealthy. He didn't even have a permanent address. And yet, he's had more influence in our Western civilization, in many ways, in our whole world, than any person who ever lived. Such is the influence of Jesus of Nazareth. How, how did he do it? Well, as we've learned in the course of this series, he did it by introducing a movement. The New Testament calls the movement the Ecclesia. And ecclesia, we've learned, is a Greek word for a civically-minded group of people who come together on behalf of the larger community with the intention of influencing the larger community. The ecclesia isn't only about or all about the people in the ecclesia. It's about the people who aren't. Jesus came to introduce a movement like that and, of course, we know it as the church. Jesus in, intended the church to be a continuation of that influencing movement that he introduced. And so, in this series, we've been looking at ways that we, as a church community, can influence the people around us. And as we said, this series has a very deliberate focus. The COVID ordeal of the last year has impacted all of us in many ways and raised many concerns. One of the most widely shared concerns is the negative impact that it's having on our children and our students from academic standing to mental health. While our kids and students have experienced many losses in this COVID year, we're determined to make sure their faith in, in Christ is not one of them. Instead, two weeks ago, we proposed to meet this moment as an opportunity, an opportunity to rededicate ourselves to the formation, the education, and the celebration of faith that we want our young people to experience here at Nativity. As, please God, we reopen all of our next generation programs this fall live uh, right here on our Ridgely Road campus. I invited at that time your support for our next generation ministry by making an investment in that ministry through prayer and or service. And if you uh, would like to learn more about that or are still interested in getting involved, you can check it out on our website. Last week, we looked at the power of encouragement. Encouragement. 
as we said, as others have said, what's the telltale sign that someone needs encouragement? They're breathing. We all need encouragement. As we close out this series, just a reminder that if you've missed any or all of the past week's messages in this series, they're always available online. That's, of course, at churchnativity.com. Our on-demand feature is also a great place to invite friends who might want to hear or need to hear these messages. Well, as we wrap up this series on this Mother's Day, appropriately enough, almost as if we had planned it, we're looking at the very best, the number one, far and away, the most effective way to influence people. Love them. Just love them. Of course, many things come easily to mind with the introduction of that word, love. Today we gratefully remember, joyfully celebrate our mother's love. But there's also love as romance, love and marriage, love as affinity, brotherly love, love of neighbor. Whatever the case, it's true that our greatest opportunity to influence people is to love people. That seems obvious enough, and only we can do it. If you think about it, organizations and institutions can't love people. Systems and structures can't love people. Businesses and bureaucracies can't love people. People love people. In fact, how often have you seen that organizations and institutions, systems and structures, businesses and bureaucracies actually get in the way of loving people? People love people. Love flows out of personal relationships and can be profoundly influential to the people in those relationships. The truth is that, that people, everyone really longs for loving support. The unfortunate truth is that many people are desperate for it. So, we know that it's impactful and influential. We know that it's needed and necessary, but even so, oftentimes, maybe more often than not, life gets in the way of love. We're focused on the task to be done, the moment at hand, the things to do on our to-do list. We're so busy, so preoccupied, so overscheduled, so overcommitted that we forget the importance of loving people. A lot of time, we simply don't even think about it. Besides, besides, why should I take on the additional responsibility of a loving, nurturing role for employees, colleagues, friends, classmates, when I bear no actual real responsibility or obligation to do so on their behalf, period? I can't love everyone anyway, so why even try? 
I just want to mind my own business. I just want to live my life. I just want to take care of my family. I love my kids. I love my dog. Isn't that enough? All perfectly reasonable statements that all have one thing in common. They're all about me. To broaden our perspective, let's take a brief look at a very, very special passage from the Gospel of John. Jesus set a loving example for the disciples throughout his public ministry and in all his preaching and teaching. That's why so many were so committed to him. Then, on the night before he died, Jesus passed on to his closest friends and followers the secret to his ability to love them. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, as the Father loves me, so also I love you. Remain in my love. This is the trajectory of love that we're discussing today. It begins with God. It begins with God the Father who is love. In, in an eternal exchange, the Son receives and returns the love of the Father. In that loving exchange, creation is formed and God's purposes unfold. In that loving exchange, Jesus calls the apostles and establishes the church. He establishes the church to remain in his love. The ability and power for us to love doesn't come from willpower or goodwill. It's not the product of our best intentions or even our very best efforts. It doesn't really come from us at all. It comes from God. Whether we know it or not, whether we believe in God or not, this is the difference between Christianity and other religions and even the message of our secular culture. Our culture and other religions say, do good deeds and you'll be a good person, which is certainly true. But Christianity digs deeper into this truth, saying it's actually God who gives us the power and ability for good and great things. That's why it's imperative to remain in his love. So you might say, okay, but how? How practically do I remain in his love? Simple. Keep my commandments, he says. That's it? That's it. Now, some of you are going to push back at this point and argue, isn't that just religious rule-keeping? Sounds like you're reducing love to religious rules and laws and commands that insist that I have to work for. I have to earn God's love. Just sounds like old school church talk. Obey the commandments. Exactly why I stopped coming to church to begin with. Well, as we just said, when it comes to God, there is no earning anything. Keeping or striving to keep the commandments of God simply positions us to effectively, efficiently receive the love of God 
that's always there. Still, we don't like that word, command. Nobody does. We don't like being told what to do. But as we will see in this passage from John, it's in our very best strategic interest to do so. There are four reasons that we find in this passage, four very good reasons to follow his commands, his commands being the sum total of his preaching and teaching. First reason, he knows what he's talking about. He said, I have kept my father's commandments. In other words, he speaks from experience. Throughout his life, Jesus followed his father's commands, and because he followed his father's commands, he remained connected to the effective and powerful force of the father, which we see demonstrated over and over again in his miracles. Simply stated, he's a leader worth following. Second reason. He doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't already done. On the night before he died, he spoke of laying down his life. In laying down his life for us on the cross, giving everything that he had to give, he provides us with a model to emulate, a path to follow. And as we do follow, however imperfectly we follow, we grow in likeness to him. Three, his commands are purposeful. They aim at joy. They're directed to joy. He wants us to live our lives in joy, not just a passing experience, but the state of joy. In the beginning, when we adopt any good habit or aspire to any new virtue, it's always difficult, it's always challenging, and we don't want to do it. But if the habit is actually good, if the virtue is truly virtuous over time, we'll embrace it, we'll value it, we'll come to treasure it. What starts out as a discipline can actually become something we like and love. And that's the way it is with Jesus' commands. As we follow them, we grow to value them, to recognize their worth, their beauty, their truth, to delight in them and to come to find joy in them, joy as a lifestyle. Fourth reason, he says, I have called you friends. He doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us. He wants friendship. In your closest friendships and relationships, you know the other person. You know what they're thinking and what they're doing, what they're perhaps feeling. The obligation falls away in friendship and moves to something deeper, something much more important. That's the relationship Jesus wants for you and with you. Why? He tells us that too, to go and bear fruit. Jesus chose the apostles, and now he chooses you and me to bear fruit. Simply stated, his friends bear fruit. His friends bear fruit. And the fruit, what is it? That brings us full circle. The fruit is love. Love for one another. 
our love for one another. Jesus' command to love, it's, it's foundational to the entire Christian life. It's foundational, it's fundamental, it's formative, it's, it's the origin, but it's also the fruit. It's the so what of Christianity. Everything we've talked about in this series, when it comes to influencing people, it's all just expressions of love. Love people by empowering them. Love people by mentoring and coaching them. Love people by investing time and prayer in them. Love people by encouraging them. Most all of us, myself included for sure, can be so careful, can be so cautious when it comes to the word love. It seems so presumptuous. We feel so vulnerable. We're often reluctant, even embarrassed to say it. But perhaps, maybe, we shouldn't be. Perhaps we should say it all the time. Because most basically, most fundamentally, love just means, love just means that we're for somebody else. We're not against them. We're for them. And if that's the case, shouldn't we, shouldn't we love everyone we can, every chance we can, every way we can? Because at the end of the day, at last, in the end, what we'll have is the love we've shown and the love we've shared.